On today's show, we are recording during a minor wind and rainstorm on a jet boat micro vacation in Hell's Canyon. My guest is Kevin Rogers, who is joined by his son Weston and daughter-in-law Coriel. Unfortunately, I made a mistake and didn't get Coriel's audio. My bad. As a large animal veterinarian, Kevin has had the opportunity to doctor some pretty incredible animals, including moose, grizzly bears, African lions, and tigers. And he had a run-in with a crazy tiger lady named Carol that ended in tragedy. Buckle up, folks. Stories like these are the reason I started this show. Welcome to the Six Ranch Podcast. Looking good. Let's see. A priest and a hooker went into a bar. Oh, I'm joking. I don't really know any priest and hooker jokes. (laughs) (laughs) Joking about joking. That is a perfect introduction. (laughs) Welcome back, folks. To the Six Ranch Podcast, we are back in Hell's Canyon on another little jet boat trip. Just a fun trip up here to get away from people, do a little bit of bass fishing, get in the sun. And I have with me three very special guests today. Would like you guys to introduce yourselves. I'm Weston Rogers, account manager for Six Hour of the Northwest. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, Kevin Rogers. I'm a veterinarian and raccoon trapper yeah kevin the raccoon trapper is the star of today's show i can tell you guys that right now and if you've ever wondered how to give a grizzly bear a vasectomy (laughs) this is the show for you and coriel and weston are here to sort of keep us on track and uh, they they know the ins and outs of the good stories but as a veterinarian you've spent all your life dealing with a wide variety of animals and that's led you to some pretty incredible experiences um i have had a very interesting career um grew up on a farm and ranch in oklahoma and of course we had livestock and our own cadre of critters and went to veterinary school at oklahoma state university and i watched jeremiah johnson when i was a kid about 50 times and (laughs) decided when i finally got my hall pass i was headed to the mountains and found myself uh, in a small town, Post Falls, Idaho. It's outside of Coeur d'Alene, sort of close to Spokane, if you're familiar with that. And that's where I really, um, after years working in Oklahoma, actually, in a mixed animal practice, I I um, had hired by a veterinarian who uh, was the go-to guy for all weird veterinary experiences in Spokane and Coeur d'Alene. Basically, if there was a moose on the loose, he was your guy. If there was a, you know, there were several... I guess it's gotten quite popular to people that to watch shows about tigers and and exotic animals. But we had quite a few clients at the time that um, did raise exotic big cats, and they're in lots of nooks and crannies around America. I've I've learned through my experiences there. So, yeah, we got to play with the the big cats and other exotics that um, were in private ownership, as well as the Walk in the Wild Zoo, which was a pretty diverse and interesting local zoo in Spokane that um, later closed, but it made for some good stories, I'll say that, because um, nobody ever has a veterinary facility in their homemade cat farm, (laughs) or cat house, in their cat house. (laughs) Weston, it had to be crazy growing up and having your dad come home and talk about, like, working on a tiger that day, right? 
Oh, yeah, and sometimes I even got to join in a little bit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, tigers aren't the easiest thing to move around, and I think I helped out on a couple surgeries here and there. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it was unique for a little while. <laughs> Tell me about the eye of the tiger. <laughs> Dad, you could probably best answer that. Yeah, that, uh, first of all, I should qualify. <laughs> I, I'm not a wildlife or zoo uh, specialist veterinarian. I just found myself as the only guy willing to answer the phone when problems started happening. And um, there was a man and his wife that ran a small, uh, you can't see quote unquotes with my fingers, but that's the gesture I'm making because it really wasn't much of a um, a great place for a cat to spend out its golden years. But these people did have a big heart and they kept four or five tigers and a couple of uh, bobcats and a mountain lion and had committed themselves to keeping them healthy and alive for the rest of their natural lives. And when things would go sideways, guess who got called? And uh, <laughs> on this particular day, this morbidly obese Bengal tiger, um, its eye had become diseased. And I, I don't know what happened to the eye because they didn't call until it was a bit late. But um, I was tasked with uh, removing the diseased eye. You know, that's not something a tiger's willing to do without <laughs> subduing it a bit with some chemical restraint, um, which incidentally is is the biggest challenge to most of that kind of thing after they're restrained it's a lot like any other form of veterinary medicine but yeah we we darted the big cat and um confirmed it was uh sleepy with the usual big long stick poke (laughs) um and once we thought it was safe we um enucleated its eye and sewed it up and got the heck out of there before it woke up and realized it had been violated but in all honesty that particular procedure went really according to book and didn't make for the best story other than just saying i took the eye out of the tiger (laughs) but others have been way more interesting the zoo when it was um, closing its doors they um, had to find a home for their various big cats and a person um, i won't use her name uh, she had a big cat sanctuary again quote unquote in texas and she um, raised a lot of, were charged a lot of money to transport these cats from Spokane to Texas. Now realize this was in the early 90s uh, before the internet or she probably couldn't have gotten away with a lot of what she did. But um, And what was her name? Carol was her name. And um, I'm pretty sure it's not the more famous Carol cat lady, but it could be for all I know. <laughs> um, she was a cat lady named Carol and tigers were her business. And um, she got the good folks of Spokane to give her, I think, twenty or $30,000 a cat to move these cats to Texas and give them a happy life for the rest of their life. And um, we, being myself and another veterinarian, had to sedate them. And uh, she showed up with a chartered Gulfstream jet that somebody else, I think, volunteered and a bunch of media following her. And the crate she had to put these, you know, three, four hundred pound cats into were U.S. Air Force uh, German Shepherd dog approved crates. And um, I was shocked and told her that was pretty inappropriate. But Be- she, Because German Shepherds and Tigers German are Shepherds different make, sizes. Yeah, they are. You know, one, their Tiger on the small side is probably four times the size of a German Shepherd dog. And, and um, But once these, I, we actually didn't see the crates until they were sedated and ready to be loaded. And um, 
they literally had to shake the cage to get the door closed on one of them. And um, anyway, they, they loaded the tigers and the lions up and put them in the Gulfstream jet and then sat on the hot tarmac out at Spokane Airport for a couple of hours while the news showed up. And um, sadly, uh, you know, we kind of joked about it, but it really was a tragedy. There were a lot of good folks that raised money to find these cats a good home. And um, two of the three cats didn't survive the trip back to Texas. And um, the only one that managed to survive, I think, was because it was so diminutive in size. It was the smallest tiger, and it was very old and didn't have a lot of fat on it. And it survived the um, <laughs> windstorm. I guess we'll have to cut. No. Okay. Keep going. Well, the <laughs> long story short is the tigers did not fare well on the trip home, and uh, her lifeblood was her reputation and so she promptly blamed me for the whole affair and um it was one of the the um actually worst experiences being a veterinarian you know we were just trying to help out and um i think we did a good job with our end of it but the disaster was when she stuffed them in a dog crate and waited on a hot tarmac and then flew six hours back to texas and then blamed the city of spokane and myself and everybody else that tried to help her so it was, um, I guess that doesn't sound too funny when you're talking about it. But no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great tragedy. And I think that that's part of what people are realizing. We've been seeing tigers in movies and tigers in, in all this pop culture and stuff. And it's just been kind of a joke, right? And people are starting to realize that it actually isn't that funny that these are animals that often are treated really poorly by folks that don't have any business. Um, and I honestly think most of the people that care for these tigers and have dedicated their lives to this are bat crazy. Yeah. I mean, they just are. Yeah. They, they wear the cloak of um, an animal rights activist. And um, I know there are animal sanctuaries that are run by very dedicated and really well-educated people from primate sanctuaries and on. And even in the big cat world, certainly. I don't know everything there is to know about it. But I've met enough of them to know that there's some characters doing that and um it's i suppose the celebrity of this tiger show that's um i haven't seen it myself but i guess a lot of people are talking about it will probably shine a light on what is not a very um a very good industry i hate to even call it an industry it's just kind of a it's a like a subculture it's a subculture it really is A, a lot of the people that get these um cats and, and even some other exotic animals are are motivated by, um, you know, just an exhibitionist mentality. And when the fun wears off, uh, there was a bar in Spokane run by a lady who was 120 pounds soaking wet. And she had two tigers. And um, she would have, and she had two tigers and a standard poodle. And one of the tigers ate a poodle. I got a story I'll tell you right now I just thought of. Well. I had a client, and she... Uh, oh, 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 hold on, hold on. It ate a poodle? Yeah. She said that she went in there to clean its cage, and her poodle went with her everywhere, and that the tiger and the poodle loved each other, except that the tiger bit the poodle, <laughs> and she got scared and ran, and because her poodle was, you know, bleeding, and that's what tigers do, is it just ate it. So that's the crazy thing, is that people almost universally end up having this experience like eventually the tiger 
kills you or, or kills something else or rips your arm off or, or whatever. And it's so obvious that that's going to happen. It's well, I mean, honestly, that's the take-home message to all this. Wild animals should be wild. Um, Weston's mother had a pet raccoon. And um, <laughs> it, the people who raised me. It, it was a great pet until she reached in the... <laughs> The garbage can full of dog food to get it out because it was eating all the dog food and it bit her finger half off. <laughs> so, you know, that's when it quit being fun to have a wild animal sure, for a pet. Yeah. But the story that just came to mind was this lady. Now, she was the classic barfly, and I'll let your audience picture in their own minds what that looks like. But she had a pit bulldog and a baby lion, and she would load them in her piece of car and drive to the bar and get drunk and not leave until you know they closed the bar down and then twice she called me at 2 30 in the morning because she'd come out of the bar and the pit bull had attacked the young african lion and tore it all up and she brought it in for me to patch it up you know so i did and i lectured her a little bit about you know leaving her lion and her pit bull together and um things you don't that's just a conversation you don't think i never plan on those words ever entering my vocabulary in vet school but i did warn her that eventually the lion would get big and it was going to turn the tables on her pit bull no kidding african and that is exactly yeah yeah, and you don't have to have a crystal ball to see that one coming (laughs) but (laughs) sure as hell 2 30 in the morning ah, and um the pit bull was just ripped to shreds. The lion had had enough, and he exacted his revenge. So, you know, just another example of crazy people doing crazy stuff. And So you <laughs> mentioned moose on the loose earlier. Have you ever seen a moose on the loose that required your attention? Oh, yeah. Um, Dr. Pawnee, the veterinarian I work for, and a great guy, and, and really the authority of all interesting wildlife stuff in the greater Spokane area, the fishing game would always call him, or his office anyways, and uh, if something was going on with the wildlife in town that needed a, a veterinarian. And on this particular day, it was a hot summer day, they called and said there was a young moose that was uh, sleeping in a junkyard on Mission, which is the downtown kind of industrial part of, of Spokane. And they wanted to know if he could come down and shoot it with a dart gun so they could safely extricate it from the junkyard. But he wasn't around, so I had to go do it. And so I sneaked up on the moose, and we had an air rifle with the appropriate sedatives in there. And I darted it, and it was a good shot. And the moose jumped up when the dart hit it, and then pretty soon he laid back down. And I counseled the fishing game officer to just wait until I gave him the green light that it was ready. But he was impatient, and he thought the animal was sleeping well enough, so he ran up there to put... What's, or the equivalent of moose handcuffs on the thing. They're, they're these, you know, hobbles. And, um, but the moose jumped up and staggered its way through the <laughs> junkyard and leaped a six-foot razor wire fence, which unfortunately had a drop-off on the far side and landed square in the middle of Mission Avenue, which is a really busy street. So a drunken moose is now running down Mission Avenue, and the fish and game guys, come on, Doc! And so we jumped in his pickup, and we went screeching out onto Mission and chasing after the moose. And the moose ran through this park that was there. And I was hanging out the door like Doc Tari, 
trying to get another dart in this thing as he was catching up to it. But this moose was on the move, and we were literally driving through the middle of the park, and how we avoided everybody in the park is still a mystery to me. But we got another dart in it, and it cut into a big lumber yard, and they had a cowboy with a horse trailer there to remove it when our plan A was going down. So... (laughs) (laughs) Is it, we, a, is it a moose boy at that point? <laughs> he had the bright idea of roping this half-trunk moose that was cornered in this lumberyard warehouse. Why not? I mean, yeah. what could go wrong? Straight out of the handbook. And um, so he tossed me a lariat, and that was a joke in and of itself. <laughs> I mean, I grew up on a cattle ranch, but my roping skills are pretty weak. And um, But we did manage to get a couple of loops on this thing and wrestled it to the ground and eventually hogtied it and pulled it into a horse trailer and off it went to mount spokane to live happily ever after but yeah no there there's always something going on like that when you open yourself up to it i'll say currently things are a lot calmer i work with a a raptor biologist who has a raptor rehabilitation facility in um Coeur d'Alene, and she does a great job of gets a lot of releases and that's pretty fun she'll bring me a you know, a barn owl, or we just pinned the wing on a bald eagle last week that had broken its humerus, and hopefully it'll turn out well and get rehabbed and get turned loose, and she has a lot of volunteers that help her. So there is some reward to wildlife um, veterinary work, but being involved with those sanctuary tigers and stuff, anymore I would just say no thank you. It's just, it's it's a shady business in my opinion. Have you ever uh, worked on a grizzly bear? <laughs> Only once, and it was very brief. I'll explain. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, the Walk in the Wild Zoo that's had taken in a um, pair of cubs from the Alaska fishing game. They'd been orphaned, and they were male and female, and they were going to be part of their zoo exhibit. And once the male grizzly reached sexual maturity, they decided they didn't need some three-eyed grizzlies, and they'd better get him sterilized and so they uh, got WSU because the veterinary school is only 90 miles away to come up and uh, do a vasectomy on the grizzly bear and so the veterinary school and a lot of students were there and I wasn't because they had this handled and uh, they (laughs) they sedated the bear and he stumbled his way down to the bottom of the like three-acre exhibit. It was a great exhibit. It had big boulders and very natural-looking environment. But he wedged himself between the fence and this giant house-sized boulder. And that's where they managed to do the vasectomy. And once they thought he was about half awake, they left because they had to get back to school, I guess. I don't know. But the zookeeper called me at like 11 o'clock at night and said, you know, they left at 3 this afternoon. He's still not up from the anesthetic and she was getting worried and so I wasn't too sure what I could do about it but I promptly drove out to the zoo and um, we poked the bear a few times from the outside of the fence and he wouldn't move so I said well I guess we better take a closer look I got my toolbox full of gear and we had to crawl through this equivalent to a doggy door bear door to go out into the main exhibit and we went clear down to the bottom of the exhibit and we climbed up on this big rock that he was on the other side of. And we're staring down there with flashlights trying to decide, you know, how to do this. And the bear just stood up. He'd been faking it. And he was eye to eye with us. I mean, we were eye to eye with a male grizzly bear that had just had a vasectomy. 
and you talk about drowning him in heel dust, we skidded <laughs> up that trail and dove back through the doggy door and slammed the bolt shut so fast you couldn't even see us moving. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that was that. But I thought we were going to be bear chow. The way the castration would have altered its hormones apparently um, changes their the way they shed out and a bunch of other stuff that yeah. would have been undesirable. So huh. that's what they did. But So I didn't exactly doctor on it. I just looked at it like I was going to doctor on it and ran for my life. But just you being there was enough to wake him up. and I guess yeah. so. I think he was just waiting for somebody to come in his cage. He, he, he seemed like he enjoyed the whole affair. <laughs> <laughs> now, Coriel, you brought up something about a miracle mare. See, they know my stories. Sometimes I start telling them. and Yeah, that, well, amongst other things, I was a horse doctor. And um, I say that in a past tense. I still occasionally work on a horse, but the focus of my practice is no longer horse work. But this was Easter morning, and I got a call from a good client who was in an absolute panic. She had a mare that was having a foal, and um, she thought that something was wrong. And um, so I jumped in my truck and raced over there and I knew her suspicions were right because anyone that's raised foals before knows that you know a calf can be stuck so to speak for a long time and still survive the experience but that's really not the case with a a horse foal and so I knew time was of the essence and but when I got there because it was Easter her entire family who had just gotten back from church to discover this, were standing there all in Sunday best, dresses, ties, and um, circling around me to watch. And I knew it was going to turn out badly. And I sat there and I warned them all. I said, look, folks, this is we're trying to save the mayor now because foals don't survive this much um, uh, delivery problems. And so you need to be prepared because I didn't want, you know, 50 crying people in them all thinking I did a bad job either. So once I got them psychologically prepared, which is 90% of a veterinarian's job, I think, we anesthetized the mare because she wouldn't stand still for anything else. And I shoved the foal back in and rearranged its legs and pulled it out and fully expected, you know, it to be deceased. And dang, if it didn't just jump up almost instantly, stagger around, let out a little semblance of a whinny and the mayor looked back at it whinnied and the whole crowd cheered and there was praise jesus is going on and everything it was really to a large animal veterinarian it didn't get much better than that but yeah, because i awesome. certainly didn't see that one coming i thought it was going to be all tears yeah so it was it was a miracle i think it was just a lucky day for everybody involved but yeah as a, as a veterinarian large animal small animal you do get a lot of, I think the large animal definitely going to people's places, pulling in at the dark of night in these backwoods places. You just never know what you're going to get yourself into. So um, life's a lot, a lot more subdued, I think, these days, but a lot less interesting when it comes to vet work. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, Weston used to have to go with me if it wasn't midnight or something and school night. I'd say, hey, you want to go? And he was usually game for it. And we'd go out and pull calves or sew up horses. And he'd hold the flashlight. And he was a good hand. And um, I think it's why he didn't want to be a veterinarian. <laughs> 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 Found out what the long gloves were for. And <laughs> yeah. I was out of there. 
He's immediately started lifting weights so that your arms would be too big for that unpleasant task. Yeah. Yeah. So in addition to being a veteran, you're also uh, a hunter and a fisherman. You're you're around bird dogs, um, pack animals, things like that. I think a lot of people are interested in in what they need to be bringing with them when they're going into the backcountry, whether they're hunting with dogs or or whether they're just going in on a on a horseback trip, or even for their own um, personal health as far as a first aid kit. But especially for for animals, what should a first aid kit look like? For people who want to take care of a dog or a horse or, God forbid, that they want to save a llama's life um, <laughs> in the backcountry. Well, you know, a lot of that does depend on your own personal experience and confidence in dealing with um, animal wounds and so forth. Because sometimes you do more harm than good and your best bet's just to get them back to town as, as quickly as you can. But I'd say three or four rolls of vet wraps probably your best friend. You can, that stuff will hold not only yourself together you can make makeshift splints with it you can bandage torn skin with it and you you get the impression you're doing something because your animal has a you know a first aid mark on it when you're done but if vet wrap for those of you don't know it's just a non-stick medical tape that you can buy anywhere and and um it's a pretty clever um way of dealing with a lot of veterinary emergencies other stuff is just you know basic pain relievers for horses and ways to deal with rope burns and one of the things i always carried with me in the backcountry which may have been unnecessary weight because i never really have had to implement it but i'm not a horseshoer and wouldn't even want to try and um, it always worried me being in this in places like hell's canyon it's really rocky horse throws a shoe and you're 20 miles back and you don't want to run that foot before you get out. So they make a thing called an easy boot. You can just slip it over their foot, and it buckles down like a ski boot binding. And, um, you know, you've got a, a makeshift protection for your horse's foot, and you can save an animal's career by that, that way. So That and, a, and um, you know, treatment for a, an abscessed foot with an easy boot, you know, a horse could be crippled in the backcountry with just an abscess, and, and that could be... Yeah, it provides out. a nice cushion. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say guys that are just getting into backcountry horsemanship, I mean, the old-timers would scoff at such an idea, but, you know, it's a nifty um, invention, and anybody could put it on safely, and, you know, if you never need it, great, but if you ever do, let me tell you, um, it could really, really help you out. My dad and I were in a backcountry trip one time, and we were about 26 miles from the trailhead, and we were on our way out. And his horse's shoe started to come loose. And it was a real soft-footed horse. And I think Dad and I both think that if that shoe would have come off, that that horse would have quit, would have just quit. And you could hear it clink on every step. It was like the the telltale heart. (laughs) And every single step, clink. Oh. And each time I was like, oh, please. Come oh, please, hang in there, buddy. And it did. We made it out. But uh, but yeah. you can imagine, you know, you're 20 sure. miles in, and um, most amateur packers, myself included, tend to overload, you know, not to the point of injury, but you certainly don't, if that horse is disabled, it's going to be a real problem. Yep. And so that's just one area that you can you know you can't help every situation but that's one i think that you could help out weston what are some of your uh favorite stories of your dad's (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i think we covered a lot of them pretty well Uh, (laughs) there's always a few jewels what about the story of weston almost getting clawed through a chain link fence 
Oh, oh that yeah. was a good one. I think it was. A, I think it was a lion. Actually, it was a yeah. lion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The Little people, the, <laughs> the same people that had the tiger that had to have its eye removed had this African lion, and these good-hearted folks um, had made friends with a steakhouse, and the main source of nutrition for their lions and tigers were the the trimmings from prime beef and so they had a high fat high protein diet and consequently they were obese and so this lion i know it must have weighed 600 700 pounds and it liked to sleep on a giant uh electrical spool you know it looks like a giant yo-yo and um we were out there doing something not the tiger ride time but weston was with me and um I had a new digital camera, (laughs) and it was when digital cameras were all new, and I was busy taking pictures of everything I could think of, and I said, hey, Weston, stand over there in front of the lion's cage, and this was just a chain-link fence. Really bowed in towards the lion as well. Not double (laughs) anything. It was about as primitive as it gets, and I mean, plenty strong, but so Weston standing on the outside of the enclosure, the lion's sleeping on this giant spool. And I'm like, Weston, looky here. And so he's looking at me and has his back turned to the lion. And I've got the lion in the picture, you know, over his shoulder. And I'm taking pictures. And the lion, I don't know how an animal that fat could move that fast. But he let out the most blood-curdling roar and slammed that chain-link fence with the full weight of his body and knocked Weston forward about three feet. Whoa. Because Weston was standing next to the fence, and it just slammed into the fence and knocked him flat on his face. He thought he'd been eaten. I about crapped myself, too, because, you know, I'd fed him to the lions. Did he get the picture? No, didn't get the picture. Those cameras were so slow back then, yeah. It was all for nothing. Oh, man, there's not a digital camera made that could have caught the speed of that cat. That thing was on the move. Which brings up uh, a point. Animals, wild animals, have a strength that I think people that have never really dealt directly with the hands-on strength, and whether it's as small as a raccoon or as big as a grizzly bear, think of what you know about animal strength and multiply it times 10. That yeah. is truly... Would you agree with that? I'm sure you... Oh, totally. You know, I've, I've seen places where, where a lion, a mountain lion, has jumped... Um, and those tracks are 30 feet apart and honest to goodness, 30 feet apart. Think about what that takes, you know, and, and that's just a Tuesday. Like I know that they can jump 20 feet vertically, but I mean, if I have to jump across a Creek, that's like six feet wide, there's an 80% chance. One of my feet is getting wet. (laughs) (laughs) No, I, I'm always in awe of that, um, and it's just something about the wild animal and, and they're surviving thousands of years doing what yeah. they do. That Cat muscle especially is just on another level of potency. Yeah, I totally agree. But yeah, no, we, we've had some interesting interesting times, uh, you know, bouncing around the country as a veterinarian and Weston helping me out. We ran a winery for 10 years and um, when I was as if I didn't have enough to do as a veterinarian, we decided to start a winery. And yeah, Weston not? was my main guy. He was like 15, and the local TV came out to do a story on our winery. And they were interviewing Weston. And 
so Weston, what do you like about, you know, helping your dad out with the winery? And, and he's like, well, I really like uh, blending wines. You know, it only takes a few percent of Merlot to really change the character of a Cabernet. And I'm like, Weston, you're 15. <laughs> So, Oops. yeah, with the vet clinic, the winery, between hunting, fishing, kayaking, rafting. Tell me about kayaking. Well, when I, um, that was one of the, I, I don't know what cued my interest in whitewater kayaking when I lived in Oklahoma. I mean, the rivers there looked like a liquid pumpkin pie. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but that was something I wanted to do. And the first year I was here, I, I signed up for a course at Mountain Gear, a, a alpine sports shop in Spokane for their winter time. Learned to roll a kayak class. And um, a horse, yeah, a horse had bit my fingernail off. <laughs> like two days earlier. I was checking its teeth and this professor told me if you hold the tongue out the side of a horse's mouth, he won't bite down and you can feel their teeth. So I held the tongue out the side of the horse's mouth and touched his teeth and he bit down and bit my fingernail off. <laughs> so I was ouchy from my fingernail and I had to go to the class to... Learned to roll a kayak. They stuffed me in this plastic coffin and told me to flip it over, and this is how you roll it back up. I'm floundering around underwater like a dying fish. I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't have let me drown, but I know he came really close. (laughs) And he finally flipped it back up, and I'm like, I'm gone. And I got out of the... Well, they didn't turn the... They turned... They don't use a heater. I mean, this is like a really environmentally sensitive alpine shop so they keep the temperature in their store like one degree above pipe freezing and um so that was the other thing you know it was like 45 degree water sure my finger was on fire and my nose and lungs were full of hyperchlorinated water (laughs) and um it just wasn't an altogether good experience so i said screw that and i bought a raft and we bombed every whitewater river that idaho made and a lot in washington too over the next five or six years and just had a blast brand lock saw at twenty thousand and really really pushed it and had a lot of fun doing it and i know it it sparked a, a love for white water and wilderness adventures in weston because his first job was work what was the title swamper swamper on the middle fork of the salmon yeah yeah and that's a score for anybody who knows wilderness the middle fork is the jewel hot springs along the way it's really awesome so i did eventually um after years of rafting get the nerve back to try uh kayaking again and got the roll down and and enjoyed kayaking quite a bit until a nasty day on marble creek just about ended my life and um so i i really slowed down after that and and um, got into other safe hobbies like long distance motorcycles and bucking broncos sure you know, the, it normal, seems like normal, every normal sport stuff. I've <laughs> ever tried has required a helmet. Even a breeding work on stallions, you have to put a helmet on to keep them from kicking the their brains in. That's a good idea. <laughs> it's a really good idea. So it's been an interesting ride, as they say. In this uh, this jet boat of yours that you brought up, um, that was a, a jet that, that you built a lot of it. You learned how to weld aluminum in order to do it. Well, it's my second attempt at building my own boat and um the first one i bought an, an older like older like 45 year old aluminum jet boat and um i've always had more ambition than common sense and so i thought how hard can it be to weld aluminum and 
bought an aluminum welder and started practicing. And long story short, I put a Cummins Marine uh, diesel engine in that boat. And everybody told me to be too heavy for them, but I did my own engineering and turned out I was wrong. And uh, <laughs> it worked, but it wasn't ideal. But the latest jet boat that we just came up the canyon in uh, performs quite well. And it was um, a jet boat hull from a company that went out of business. And um, one of the better jet boat builders, Riddle Marine in, in uh, Lewiston, helped me uh, drop in the engine and the steering and a few major components. And I finished it out myself after that. So I have a lot of pride in that. People will say, oh, nice looking jet boat. Goes, Not bad for home, eh? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great looking boat. It's beautiful and a lot of usable space. You can do lots of different types of fishing on it. And it's got to be a real sense of pride to um, to be able to put something like that together and then take it up upriver in a really dynamic environment like this. It, it is. It is. And the river, the canyon, if anybody's ever gets the opportunity to see hell's canyon deep in the wilderness section should just jump on the chance because it's it's an environment that's just phenomenal and i'm sure there's other places on the globe that could top it for a wilderness experience but i don't know about them myself this is amazing and it's it's right at your footsteps you know you're at lewiston you pay your few hundred bucks and away you go it's it's really a fantastic opportunity to see a wilderness environment that well today we we we're fishing for smallmouth bass and just enjoying a little bit of the river looked up and there was a three-quarter coral ram looking down off of a rock it looks like he was planted there i mean literally you could not have scripted that we've got pictures of me holding up a smallmouth bass with the bighorn sheep in the background how cool is that yeah coriel who knows more about animals than almost anyone i know literally asked if it was real (laughs) (laughs) yeah we we slipped out here in the dark that six ranch brand kind of threw it off yeah uh, (laughs) took took this full body mounted baby bighorn that was shedding out and put him on a rock Which, which brings up a point that Weston and I talked about earlier, because I, I guided Whitewater for years. Weston guided Whitewater for years. And you field a lot of, um, you field a lot of stupid questions. And I know some people tell you that there are no stupid questions, and those are the type of people that ask them, I think. <laughs> so Weston, you know, kind of bring people up to speed on that conversation that we had. Everyone out there, you all are, are, you know, special and we all have questions that we want answered. And the odds are, if you've been guided on something at some point in your life, you may have gotten a little fib just because it's a little <laughs> funnier for them to, uh, you know, uh, go home to their, uh, you know, gutted out van or whatever they're sleeping in that night to, you know, think back and uh, give themselves a little chuckle. You got to always realize, you know, there's a lot of raft guide jokes, but... Um, or guide jokes in general, but sometimes they're the real joke, you know. So yeah. Stay strong out there. Exactly. Yeah, guides lie through their teeth all the time, and it, it can be habit-forming. So there's a point after you've stopped guiding that you realize, ooh, I need to, like, start having compassion for conversations again and, <laughs> um, and, and not just instantly lie in the most believable the only barely believable way possible. <laughs> a, a healthy suspicion, I, I think, is good, especially in this crowd. So, just so everybody knows, we we are down here in 
in the this incredible canyon, the deepest canyon on the continent. Um, we've got a storm rolling in. The, the wind is blowing like crazy. It tore down the tarp in the middle of uh, our tiger conversation. I got whacked in the head by a tent pole. We're getting rained on. Um, it looks like it's going to rain on us pretty hard later. So this isn't a podcast from uh, some pampered studio with modern artwork on the wall. Like this is a this is a wilderness <laughs> podcast from the wilderness, and uh, you're just going to have to deal with um, dogs barking at jet boats that you're <laughs> going fast. And like it's a different type of situation. So um, yeah, just understand what what you're getting into with this thing. And uh, we're going to continue podcasting from weird places and and try and get you conversations with incredible people. Like uh, like Kevin and Weston and Coriel, and I'm really grateful for you guys for getting on here today, and looking forward to spending the rest of the weekend here with you. It was just Weston's birthday. Happy birthday to you, sir! And uh, yeah, Weston. Yeah, yeah, it's been fantastic. Yeah, hopefully we can we can hook up a dinosaur this evening, and then you can go home with a sore back and a desire to never catch a big fish again. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, I'd I'd just throw one final uh, thought in. We're um, hopefully on the downhill slide of the first uh, major pandemic that struck the United States of America since um, almost 100 years ago. And we feel blessed to be able to um, enjoy an amazing place like this and do it in a safe way while so many Americans are stuck in their apartments in Manhattan. I mean, I'm sure Manhattan's got its virtues, but um, I'll take Hell's Canyon all day long. Yeah. And um, stay yeah. safe, everybody. Yeah, Hell's Canyon over Hell's Kitchen, for sure. Um, and we are we are blessed and grateful to be able to to have this this opportunity. And if you guys are are stuck at home and you're listening to this, you know the the whole goal of this is is to give you some entertainment and a little bit of education along the way. And uh, that's the reason that we're doing it. And I really enjoyed being able to talk with you guys today so thanks again and we will catch you next time thank you for listening i hope you enjoyed the show i would also like to thank my guests for sharing their stories this episode was edited by emily brannigan with original music written and performed by justin hay if you enjoyed the show i encourage you to share it with a friend and subscribe you can find photos and more content on instagram at six ranch podcast We'll be back next week with a new episode, and I'll talk to you then.